Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Proverbial is brought to you by Scully Academy, where you can discover restful, classical learning online. Their interactive online courses for grades K-12 pair classical curriculum with a restful, or Scully, pedagogy, leading to deeper student engagement and learning that lasts. Choose from subject areas such as Latin, writing, grammar, mathematics, logic, history, science, and more, all taught by master instructors. Registration for the 2021-2022 courses are now open. Head over to www.scholeacademy.com. That's S-C-H-O-L-E academy.com to learn more and to enroll. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by, if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 54, Death and Wellness. Today's proverb comes from Nicolas Gomez de Villa. I'll read it twice. Dying societies accumulate laws like dying men accumulate remedies. Once more, dying societies accumulate laws, like dying men accumulate remedies. Men who are dying accumulate remedies, but so do men who merely believe they are dying. You don't have to be actually dying to be desperate to get healthy. You know who else accumulates remedies? Is men who don't even know what death is. And I think there's a strong case to be made that modernity has lost a sense of what death really is. And it's one of the reasons why suicide is less stigmatized 
year by year by year. Modern men accumulate remedies, which tells us a lot about what the modern man thinks of himself. The question is, thus, whether the modern man is dying, whether he merely believes that he is dying, or simply doesn't know what death is, of course, I think it's all three of these things. The modern man is paradoxically dying. Because he is dying, he doesn't know what death is. And there's also this weird sense, and that's why I say paradoxically, in which we merely believe that we're dying. We have reason to believe we're dying, in a certain sense, but not in another sense, and we have the two confused. There is a certain sense in which the modern man is just fine. And that's probably the first time I've ever said those words out loud. More on that later. In what way does the modern man merely believe that he's dying? The modern man's false belief that he is dying is what has given rise to the modern accumulation of remedies. The modern man's vast accumulation of remedies. Over the last 20 years or so, our understanding of death has been subverted by our growing interest in wellness. Wellness is not health. We often speak of the two in the same breath, health and wellness. But wellness is very different. That's why we have to speak of them separately. Wellness is a special health, which is to say that wellness is this unsustainable, self-obsessed understanding of health. Compared to wellness, health is a very general, very moderate sort of concept. I would say that a person could be 10 pounds overweight or 10 pounds underweight and still be told by a doctor, you're healthy. A man could be 20 pounds overweight and be healthy. I've been 40 pounds overweight and been told by a doctor, you're basically in good health. I mean, provided that you're not out of breath after you climb a couple flights of stairs, and provided that you're not dying of cancer, and I would say provided that you have a diet that's sustainable from one year to the next, you could probably pass for healthy in almost any sort of Christian society over the last 2,000 years. Wellness really is something completely different, though. I want to define wellness as special health, and you know how I feel about special things. I asked a class of students today what health was, and they gave a sort of rudimentary definition. But when I asked what wellness is, one young woman said, oh, wellness is health for people on Instagram. Wellness is a state of being which is well beyond health, quite beyond health. Wellness is this hypothetical state of being where a person is completely free from aches 
and pains and stress and anxiety and irritations and inflammations and fear and distress and disquiet. None of that. Wellness is the complete absence of any sort of negative, painful feeling or thought. Right, because thought comes into wellness too. Wellness is not just a condition of bodily perfection. It's a state of spiritual perfection as well, because a person who has achieved wellness has a lot of energy, perfect mental acuity, peace. They're sexually fulfilled. They're empowered. They're in control. They're content. Wellness is a divine state. Like Take all of that together completely free of pain, any sort of negative emotion, in control, in charge, rising. That's, that's perfection. That's not health. That's this divine, transhuman state. I think, realistically speaking, wellness is only a state that can be achieved after you're dead. Which is to say that the search for wellness in this life is a search for a death-like state. Wellness is death. The industrial wellness complex, which is the most insulting term I can come up with for it, is now a $52 billion a year industry. And what's odd, given that it's a $52 billion a year industry, is that the only people who ever claim to have achieved the mythic state of wellness are people who sell access to it. I say it's a hypothetical state. It's a mythic state. Wellness is like the New Age secularist version of going clear in Scientology. In the same way that Christianity offers many points of access to God, you know, through his word, through the sacraments, through virtue, um, through the life of the church, even through nature, rightly interpreted, just so there are many entrance points into wellness. In Plato's Republic, 2,400 years ago, Socrates argues that health is achieved through just two means. There's only two access points to health, and they are, number one, a moderate diet, and two, regular exercise. And this is in the chapter uh, of the Republic where Socrates is laying out how an ideal ruler is raised. He says an ideal ruler is healthy, but he cannot be obsessed with his health. And even so far back, Socrates says any vision of health beyond diet and exercise is merely going to lead a person to become obsessed with his body, adding foods in, taking foods out, making these minuscule, safe cracker-like adjustments to what he eats. A little more turmeric. Finally, Socrates says, a man who's obsessed with his diet is not good for anything. For the man who's obsessed with diet, life is meaningless. Life doesn't point at anything other than itself. When you become obsessed with life, you're keeping your heart beating for the sake of keeping it beating. Every year, the wellness industry expands into new markets. 
I think it's fair to say that wellness began as a cult of diet. But wellness has slowly reached into every conceivable walk of life. There are, of course, plenty of foods that offer wellness. Classic examples are avocados, chia seeds, kale, collagen, apple cider vinegar, yogurt. Virtually any food that you've read is, quote, actually really good for you. It can put you in touch with wellness. Wellness entails the removal of both toxic people and toxic things from your life. And really, anyone is toxic who causes you any sort of pain, discomfort, or even genuine self-reflection. Travel is good for wellness, but so is staying in. The accumulation of remedies that constitutes wellness is broad enough and vast enough that it often contradicts itself. There are clothes that are suited to wellness. Usually workout wear for women has to invoke some concept of wellness in its advertisement. Serenity, tranquility, these are what clothes offer now. Clothes used to make you cool or sexy. Now they offer a zen-like state. On top of this, products that are ethically made can be enjoyed guilt-free unless they contribute to wellness. Almost any line of product can now borrow from the mythology and vocabulary of wellness. And must. It's not enough to sell delicious potato chips anymore. We need potato chips on a mission to create wellness in the world. Above all, wellness preaches an intellectual state of being called mindfulness. Mindfulness is like a district in wellness. Mindfulness is the capital of the state of wellness. Being mindful really involves nothing more than thinking about mindfulness before you do something. Oh, be mindful. Although thinking about mindfulness and simply saying the word mindfulness are basically interchangeable. Being mindful, it's not a high standard. It really just involves like saying the name of Jesus over and over again if you're an Orthodox monk, just preaching the word mindfulness. Just say it. It's like an incantation. Mindfulness is really just kind of a secularist version of the most banal Christian conception of prayer humanly possible. And when I say the most banal sort of prayer, I mean, if you've ever heard a prayer and wondered whether it did anything at all, if you've ever heard a prayer that was so general that when the word amen was pronounced, you sat there stroking your chin saying, I wonder if God listens to that sort of thing. Because if he listens to that, he'll just listen to anything. If you've ever had that thought, you've encountered the Christian version of mindfulness. The sort of prayer, often which begins a meeting, any sort of event, any sort of concert. Lord, please let us all just have a good time tonight. 
and enjoy the community you've given us. That's mindfulness. Use of the word mindfulness in the prelude to any event means this. Let's all pretend to be compassionate, interesting people for the next hour. Mindfulness means going like this often enough when you hear someone talk. Mm. I'm not going to respond. I'm going to mull over this in silence. How brilliant you are. How mindful I am of your brilliance. How brilliant I am for being mindful of your brilliance. Now, American Christians have as voracious an appetite for wellness as secularists do. Christians love blog articles with titles like, Your job is hard, but you're doing great. Christians love this sort of message. They love to hear, Society demands too much of people like you. They love these sentiments just kind of tossed out there into the blogosphere. Regardless of who you are, society asks too much of you. Or, mommy blogs, parenting blogs, this message, also a classic wellness message, your kids are doing better than you think. All of these sentiments, the whole concept of wellness of mindfulness is really just a blithe dismissal of what 17th century Puritan theologian Richard Baxter referred to as a, quote, serious seeking after Christ. I believe that the trigger-happy condemnation of works righteousness is the theological breach by which the wellness industry has slipped into classical Christian education. We love articles that make us feel good, that justify our actions, that justify our intentions, that excuse our faults, anything that throws all of our shortcomings under the bus of some vaporous definition of grace. Christian wellness is sentimental. No form of suffering is ever justified. And... Stress is the greatest form of suffering of all. Stress is really the root of all suffering. The root of all sin. It's not the love of money. It's stress. That's the root of all evil. The whole world stresses us out. And so we're all on our own, free to self-medicate with whatever access to wellness we can find. Wellness is this self-contradictory state that somehow grasps both productivity and ease. You can be perfectly productive and perfectly at ease. Empathy and joy. You can be happy and be sad for other people at the same time. Wellness marries our fashionable outrage at the sin of the weak and serenity. It's both of these things. Wellness is a booming industry because at the very center of wellness is this irresolvable contradiction and everybody engaged in wellness is desperately trying to sort out how wellness can be real when we have no evidence whatsoever that it is. We're constantly accusing ourselves of having failed wellness, of having given up on wellness and sold ourselves short. I deserve better. I should treat myself better. 
Wellness has so entirely infected nearly every conceivable industry, it has basically become a new sort of metaphysics. If you've ever read a book from like maybe 150 to 200 years ago, maybe 100 to 200 years old, you've encountered a character, one character who asked another character, are you political? Now, the question sounds weird to us because we don't understand its analog today, which is, are you religious? And there was a period where the common man simply did not think of himself as political. Politics was something that the hierarchy of society, the upper reaches of the hierarchy of society dealt with. And the common man didn't fashion himself a political creature. He paid the bills, he went to work, that's it. I have no ambition to be in government. But as the common man becomes increasingly aware of politics and interested in politics, you have these people who turn, so to speak. And they turn political the way that some secularists turn religious. So if one person asks another today, are you religious? It means, do you have a faith that is practiced at all? Not are you spiritual, but are you religious? Do you do anything about your spirituality? And a person could be said to be religious who's Muslim or Buddhist or Jewish or Christian, Catholic, Presbyterian, Baptist. All of these are religious affiliations. And a man could be said to be political, whether he was a socialist, anarchist, Republican, Democrat. All of these are political ideologies. But when it comes to church and state, these seem to be the two primary metaphysical ways that we orient ourselves. What is your political stance? What is your religious stance? Although, I would say in the last 25 years, our obsession with health and medicine and ultimately wellness has led health and wellness to be nearly this new sort of reality that we live and move and breathe in. Are you well? Are you into health? It matters nearly as much as politics and religion. I would wager... I would wager that a Democrat and a Republican could bond over wellness. Because wellness cuts across religious affiliation and political affiliation. Are you well? Are you involved in this interminable search for a state of health that is beyond comprehension, beyond experience? Which is of some interest to your followers on social media. That's wellness. The rise of wellness neatly coincides with the increasingly widespread belief that there's no such thing as normal anymore or that normal things are a failure. Wellness is special health, and anything less than wellness is meaningless, problematic, death-like. 
Anything less than wellness isn't worth talking about. It isn't interesting. And so we have a high incentive to claim our wellness plans are working even when they're not. And a high incentive to complain that our wellness plans aren't working out and to seek out new ideas and exhortations from other people that will confirm that the search of wellness is meaningful and possible. Dying men accumulate remedies because none of them work. Dying men will try anything. The dying man will try anything, but he won't try anything for very long because the dying man needs immediate results. He goes back and forth between the same remedies endlessly. He also accumulates remedies, many of which are quite expensive, because he has nothing to lose. And so we accumulate remedies. There is always some new access point to wellness. There's nothing that would surprise me to hear led to wellness. Anything from something that's obviously enjoyable, like a hot bath or a walk, it's like being sucker punched in the stomach. Did you know that being sucker punched in the stomach actually is good for you? I can totally hear someone saying that. Wellness is, to get back to the quote, dying societies. That's what's underneath all of this. The whole quote prompted this episode. It's about dying societies. Dying societies accumulate laws like dying men accumulate remedies. Wellness is this sort of individualized utopianism. Dying societies accumulate laws, but wherever you see an accumulation of laws, a dying society cannot be far behind. The accumulation of laws is also perfectly consistent with utopianism. The belief that we can create a society that has wellness. Wherever you have a utopian society, many laws are sure to come because many things are wrong and they can all be fixed. So too, wellness teaches that your life would be better with no suffering. which is not the Christian message. The Christian message is that suffering must be redeemed, not merely escaped.